Hello and welcome to episode number 25 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, we're going to be talking about outrage. As it really seems that no matter what you're going to be talking about today, there's going to be some kind of outrage about it. Any of the hot button topics, whether it's global warming, whether it's gun control, whether it's the Jesse Smollett case, the way we're dealing with things as a society right now is in what can only be called outrage culture. We have a hypersensitivity going on, and we're going to be looking into one why this is. Is this a is this a good way to go about getting somebody to believe the point that you're trying to push? And we're going to kind of take a look at the difference between the two sides of our brain. I think most people know if you've taken even a little bit of a uh, psychology course or anything like that, you know that your brain is separated into two sides. One is the left brain and one is the right brain. One's logical and one's emotional. You've heard about this for a long, long time. If somebody's more creative, it's always like, hey, they're they're more right brain. You know, the, the artists and all that are right brain. Left brain people are the ones, you know, these Sheldon Coopers of the world that are very logically based and they are not so good when it comes to dealing with emotions, expressing emotions. And he's probably that character from the Big Bang Theory is probably a really good one to look at when you want to discuss the difference between logic and emotion. So let's just kind of jump right into that because we've talked about before on the podcast, a lot of things that are going on, a lot of the arguments that are going on right now, especially on the socials, on the tweeters, you're going to find that people are very upset. They are thinking, well, maybe they're not thinking, they're acting very emotionally. And this is what is pushing their arguments. And there's really a good reason for that as we're going to get into here. But let's again, let's talk about left brain, right brain. The left brain is that logical part of your brain to where when you sit down to make a decision, you know, you're hoping that you're going to be logical, that right brain is emotional, and that's always going to play a part. But the question is, how much is that right brain actually coming into playing a part of the decisions that you want to make? So you're going to sit down, you kind of ask yourself that question, you know, do I want to do, you know, it could be, do I want pizza for dinner or do I want a hamburger? Do I want to go for a run or sit in front of the television? When you sit down to try to make any decision, your whole brain is working on it. It doesn't, you don't really compartmentalize, a normal person anyway, doesn't compartmentalize either completely left brain or completely right brain. Most of us, I think, hope that we're being fairly logical, but I think we are fooling ourselves in that assumption. And science seems to be kind of uh, pointing that same way. When doing a little bit of research for this episode, I was looking around the internet, looking for different articles, different sources that talk about these things, logic and emotion. And I came across a website, bigthink.com, and an article there which partially said this. A few years ago, neuroscientist Antonio Damasio made a groundbreaking discovery. He studied people with damage in the parts of their brain where emotions are generated. He found that they seemed normal, except for the fact 
they were unable to feel emotions. They had something peculiar in common, though. They couldn't make decisions. They could describe what they should be doing in logical terms, such as what they wanted to eat. But many decisions have pros and cons. Both sides, shall I have the chicken or the turkey, with no rational way to decide the test subjects were unable to make a decision. So this is really, it is groundbreaking. It's very interesting to look at. So if you could turn that emotional part of your brain off, you would think, hey, the logic is still pretty damn good. I'm going to sit down. The logical part, I'm going to make the best decisions ever because everything's going to be logical. I'm going to be Mr. Freaking Spock, right? Everything, it's very logical, Captain. I'm going to make the logical decision. That's usually going to be the right decision. It turns out, In humans, when you turn that emotional part of the brain off, things start to short circuit. Without that emotional part of the brain to help you make decisions, even the ones that are very logical, you have a very hard time doing so. And that's really kind of an interesting insight into how the brain works. At least I think so. So even for a logical decision, if you don't have that emotional part of the brain, your brain's going to go, I don't know. You wouldn't think that would be the case, but it is. And this, what this shows me anyway, is that the emotional part of the brain has a much greater effect on your decisions than you may believe. And the bad part about that is it's that emotional side of our brain that is very, very easy to activate, which as a species makes us very, very easy to manipulate. So that's something that you have to be aware of when you're taking in new content, when you're taking in news stories, when you're taking in anything that anybody tells you, you have to understand that, I mean, why do the greatest con men in the world, why are they able to pull off what they do and convince you that there's somebody that they're not to gain your trust? They know how to play your emotions like a violin. They know exactly what to do. They know exactly what buttons to push in order to make you trust them, in order to make you the perfect target to do what they want, even though it's something that logically you might not want to do. Another website had an interesting article, and the whole website is about helping people become better public speakers, how to provide a good speech, how to do a how to create the proper speech in order to convince somebody of your point you know to be able to take them if you're a salesperson you want to sell them your product if you're a politician i mean you're still selling a product you're trying to sell them your policies the interesting thing and this is from westsidetoastmasters.com which is a really good website that has a bunch of information on there about public speaking The thing that I found interesting was, I'll read this to you. In in one study, 21 students prepared speeches that were written from either a logical or an emotional standpoint. The speeches were presented, filmed, and then evaluated by other college students. Interestingly, there was no real consistency in the findings except that speeches bearing a message that the evaluator agreed with were rated as more rational even if they were intended to be emotional, while those that the evaluator did not agree with were considered to be more emotional, even though they may have been intended to be logical. 
It seemed that whether a speech was considered logical or emotional depended entirely on the listener. Researchers concluded that, as a general rule, people seem unable to consistently distinguish between logical and emotional appeals. Let that sink in for a a brief moment here. People are unable to consistently distinguish between what is a logical appeal and what is an emotional appeal. Now, you start thinking about things in that terms, and you kind of start asking yourself about global warming or climate change. I mean, I forget. We keep changing the name on that. You start asking yourself questions about gun violence and that, because if you go do a little bit of research, you're going to find out that gun violence has actually been coming down in the United States over the past few decades, and it's not the crisis that we're being told that it is. And why are we being told that it's a crisis? Well, they're stoking the outrage. They're stoking that emotional part of your brain in order to get what they want. Because as human beings, especially uninformed human beings, who are more concerned with what the Kardashians are doing, watching The Bachelor, watching our sports ball, whatever it is, Well, we're just ready to believe and get angry and jump on board because, you know, it feels good to to follow the crowd. It feels good to get that outrage going. There is really no question at this point that preying upon somebody's emotions is the best possible way to bring them over to your side. And when emotions are running high, you have a tendency to make even more poor decisions. So we all want to believe that we're logical. We want to believe that we're smart enough to see the BS and to cut through that and that we're going to see easily if people are lying to us, not usually the case. And if we're in a heightened state already, we become even more inconsistent. We make even more bad choices There was even an acronym I saw on the one site, which is HALT, H-A-L-T. Never make a decision if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, or heaven forbid, a combination of those things. If you're you're feeling any of those things or a combination of those things, you're probably going to make a much more poor decision than if you weren't feeling those things. Because all of those things, hunger, anger, being lonely, being tired, they're all going to affect the way your brain works. And the emotion involved with that is going to color the decisions that you make. Dale Carnegie said, when dealing with people, remember, you are not dealing with creatures of logic, but with creatures of emotion. Creatures bristling with prejudice and motivated by their pride and vanity. And that is the problem with us as a species. On the Toastmaster site, there is a section, Emotion Winning People's Hearts. And it says, whereas logic is the language of the conscious mind, emotion is the language of the unconscious mind. We know that emotions are reactions to perceived and imagined stimuli, not based on logic, but on our own personal experiences. Emotions often outweigh our logic. Imagine this, placing a plank of wood on the ground and walking its length a few times. Easy enough, right? But now you place it a hundred feet in the air between two buildings. You know you can walk the plank. You've just done it over and over again. But now your emotions and fear outweigh your logic. 
the what ifs in your imagination now supersede the concrete knowledge of your ability to walk the plank. And that's interesting, isn't it? You know something to be true. It's easy enough. We walk this wood plank over and over again. It's really no different the fact that it's 100 feet up in the air or however high up that it is. It's the same wood plank. You can still walk back and forth on it safely. The chances of you falling off are pretty low. But now, because the danger is there, your emotions have taken over and completely outweigh the logical side of your brain. So the logical side of your brain is what I've learned, can very easily be beaten up by the emotional side of your brain. And somebody that's trying to convince you to jump onto their particular cause of the week is going to try to use your emotions. You don't see people out there in any of these cases right now that are really pointing out logical facts to you to try to convince you it is all about playing upon your emotions. When there's a school shooting or any kind of mass shooting, people get all emotional about it, and rightfully so, but you can't get so emotional that you ignore the fact. And for this, I'm going to point to an article from the ultra-liberal Washington Post about how gun violence has actually declined. In 1993, it says, there were seven homicides by firearm for every 100,000 Americans, according to a Pew Research Center analysis of data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. By 2013, 20 years later, that figure had fallen by nearly half to 3.6, a total of 11,208 firearm homicides. The number of victims of crimes involving guns that did not result in death, such as robberies, declined even more precipitously from 725 per 100,000 people in 1993 to 175 in 2013. The article also says this decline in gun violence is part of an overall decline in violent crime. According to the FBI's data, the national rate of violent crime has decreased 49% since its apex in 1991. Even as a certain type of mass shooting is apparently becoming more frequent, America has become a much less violent place. But that's not what you're hearing when there's a school shooting. We're hearing that America has a violence problem. We're hearing that gun crime in America is going up, 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 and it's a travesty. It's a epidemic. It's something that must be immediately looked at before the world crumbles. Kind of sounds like climate change, doesn't it? And in both cases, if you really go and look at the facts of the matter, you'll see that the science is not actually in. And in the case of gun violence, even though there is still a gun violence problem in the United States, the rate of gun violence is coming way down, not going up. So these continual calls for more and more gun controls do not make sense. And I usually come down on the right of a lot of subjects. And if you've been listening to my podcast, you probably understand that. And one of the things I don't understand when talking about gun violence with those on the left, I have a very simple question that I'm going to ask them, and I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but if we're going to have an argument about gun control in the United States, 
My first question to you, if you think we should have more gun control, is do you support the death penalty for gun-related crimes? And if your answer is no, I'm not going to argue with you because laws are completely and utterly meaningless without punishment. The laws are there, and if you break them, the punishment has to fit the crime, as they always say. And if the punishment isn't enough, you're not going to keep people from committing the crime. You got somebody you really want to punch in the face? Most people maybe do, even if you're not a violent person. You know, if you had the ability to punch somebody in the face and you could punch him right now as hard as you want and you knew the fine was going to be $1.50, that was it. You can punch anybody you want in the face right now and the fine is $1.50. I bet you there's a lot of people getting punched in the face. Just a guess. Now, if the punishment for that crime, instead of being $1.50, was you're going to spend 30 days in jail and it's going to cost you $5,000, a lot less people are getting punched in the face. But the people on the left don't seem to understand that. They don't seem to understand that sometimes the punishment of just going to prison is not enough to keep people from killing somebody, shooting somebody, doing something really, really bad. And that kind of furiates me in the way that you just can't have that argument. You see, I'm getting emotional. And you can't have that argument because they're ignoring logic, and then they're ignoring logic is getting me emotional, then they're going to get emotional. and Everybody all of a sudden is outraged. And nothing's going to get done because while you're so outraged, while you're just totally flipping out, your brain's firing in all sorts of different cylinders, and logic is pretty much out the window. One interesting aside from this article from the WAPO was one of the reasons they discussed multiple reasons why crime might be going down. And that's all a good thing from more police on the beat, less people abusing alcohol, these kind of things. One of them was a better economy. So it's been better now than it has been in a long, long time. So I bet you Donald Trump has actually done more by boosting this economy to bring gun violence down than any president in a long, long time. With that said, Donald Trump needs to stop spending like a madman, and our government has to start getting that that national debt down, but that's a story for a completely different podcast. Back to the West Side Toastmasters website for one moment about public speaking and how you can get good at persuasion. It says, consider the following advantages of using emotion over logic. Number one, arousing the emotions of your audience engages your listeners, and distracts them from your intention to influence and persuade. Hey, you don't think politicians are doing that, do you? That they are getting us emotional. They're getting us riled up about gun control. They're getting us riled up about climate change in order to completely distract us from their intention to influence and persuade us. What are they trying to influence us to do? What are they trying to persuade us to do? People don't look at that side of things. There is a school shooting. We go, ah, take guns away. Well, they're playing upon your emotions, not because there's actually an increase in crime, as we've just talked about from the article from the ultra-liberal Washington Post, but they want to persuade you to their way of thinking, which is even law-abiding citizens shouldn't be able to have those evil, evil guns. Let's ignore the facts. Let's ignore 
the logic that says a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun. Let's ignore the logic that only criminals will have firearms if we make them illegal for everybody. Because again, criminals are the ones that don't follow the law. And if you don't want to make that punishment, if you don't want to make that stick big enough and bad enough to dissuade somebody from doing something bad, you can have all the laws in the world. Laws mean nothing without the punishment. But how are you getting people outraged? A bunch of kids died. We got to take away your guns. Number two, emotion. And this is an important one. Emotion requires less effort than logic when you're trying to convince somebody. Logic solicits cognitive effort where emotion is automatic. You put a bunch of statistics in front of somebody, they're going to sit down and go, huh, let's see, that's interesting. Well, this went up a little here. This went down. Let me try to make a decision where emotion is, oh my God, the world is coming to an end. We need to do something now, man. Emotion is, it's really, it's a good thing to have as human beings. So we need empathy and we need to be able to put things in perspective. But when somebody starts playing with your emotions, and you start to realize these things. This is where it's important to understand how the brain works, to understand that your brain takes a lot of effort to understand logic, whereas emotions, it, it pretty much is flipping a switch. People see a bunch of high school students saying, our, our, our friends were all shot, we need, to, we need to take guns away. That's an emotional reaction. Because you're emotional, you're not going to look at the logic of things that's, that will tell you why Guns in the hands of legal, law-abiding citizens isn't a bad thing. Three, presentations aimed at engaging the audience's emotions are usually more interesting than logical ones. I mean, really, I agree with that 110%. I mean, it's really boring to go look at all the data about climate change, to go read all the data about gun violence. It's not exciting. It doesn't really evoke any emotions, thus it's less interesting. And people want to be entertained, man. It doesn't matter what the reason is. People want to be entertained. And it seems that outrage culture is doing a really good job of keeping people engaged and entertained, and it's making them go out and become engaged in these events, engaged in these causes. They don't even know why. It's always interesting to me because there's always somebody that goes out with the microphone when you go to one of these big rallies, one of these big marches, and starts asking pertinent questions as to why people are there and they have no clue whatsoever, except maybe, you know, orange man bad, guns bad. Their, their thought process on this big, exciting rally or event that they're at really comes down to nothing but their emotional feeling, which is nearly completely void of logic, which is nearly completely void of fact. And I know I keep harping on Twitter, but any platform that forces you to converse, to debate in such short little blurbs is one where you're never going to be able to cover the logic. Logic takes thought. Logic takes facts. Logic takes work, as we've just found out through these different articles, whereas emotion 
flipping a switch. It doesn't take any work whatsoever to get you emotional, to get those neurons firing in your brain that's setting you off on your way towards being a part of this really exciting outrage culture. And to cover the last two points of this about the emotion as opposed to logic, number four, emotional-based arguments are often easier to recall than logic-based arguments. I mean, I'll ask you this. Do you remember the stats I just gave you on crime? I'm sure you don't. I mean, you'll remember that gun crime and violence has gone down. Do you remember the stats? No. But what do people remember? Oh, my God, we're all going to die. This is an epidemic. This is something that has. This is, oh, my God, we need to do something now. You remember that. That sticks with people. And, again, if they're not going to go do their own homework, they're going to believe that. They're going to be really, really susceptible to believing anything that gets them emotional. Number five, emotion almost always leads more quickly to change than logic does. Even though it's number five on the list, this may be the one that scares me the most because you now realize in order to enact change on any level, it's on your personal life, it could be with the country, I mean, really, at your business, the quickest way to get change is through playing on somebody's emotions, not using logic. And the big case that's going on right now in the great city of Chicago, where I've lived all my life, is the Jesse Smollett case. And this I saw as crap from the minute that it came out. For a very, well, a couple simple reasons. One, Chicago's not really a big racist city. Chicago's a very urban city. Uh, and I'm sure there are racists everywhere, and I'm sure there are racists in Chicago, so don't get me wrong. But I doubt there are any racist white guys in the city of Chicago who knows who Jussie Smollett is, who watch Empire that know that he's gay. I mean, if it was just, this is where when your kids start telling you lies and you can tell because they're coming up with details that really didn't need to be there. You know, this is usually a big way, at least for me to tell if somebody's lying. You know, if your spouse comes home and you're like, hey, honey, where you been? And she just says, yeah, we had to work late. Nobody questions that. Now, if somebody says, well, I, yeah, I had to work late, uh, you know, and then I had to stop and get gas. And um, I uh, I ran into a uh, bill and, you know, we talked for a little while and then I, uh, you know, I dropped a 20 and I had to chase it down the street and... Uh, you know, th that's where the red flags kind of start coming up because people that lie often think that they need extra added information, extra added details to make it believable. And maybe you can pull that off if you're good at lying, if you're a good writer and that. But maybe Jesse just isn't good at that because I can tell you, racist white guys anywhere, especially in Chicago, anywhere, aren't going to be watching Empire because why would you be watching a show with a completely black cast if you're a racist white guy? It just doesn't really make logical sense. Empire, probably not on the, the list of KKK-approved TV shows. You know, just, just, a, just a guess. And you really, at that point, if you're not watching Empire, you don't know who he is. You certainly don't know he's gay. Jesse, you could have just stopped as they saw me, they were white, I was black, they beat me up. But the fact that you had to be, your ego got in the way that they called me, you know, they, they called him out for being a homosexual by using the F word. They, 
they they knew he was on Empire. They mentioned that. It's like his ego got in the way. This is the funny part about it. And then you didn't drop your sandwich. I mean, come on. If you're going to get beat up, any thugs in the city of Chicago that are out when it's like nine degrees Fahrenheit with the wind blowing at like 8,000 miles an hour, if you're going to go out and commit a hate crime, are you gonna, not going to take the guy's sandwich? You're going to leave him with his cell phone? It doesn't make any sense. And Jesse, he got the world to believe this. This is the hilarious and sad part all at the same time that this story that he told had people not only believing him, politicians, including Kamala Harris, was out like, oh my God, this is horrible. This is all, this is all Donald Trump's fault. Well, if you do a little bit of history uh, research on Kamala Harris, who now wants reparations, if you do a little research on her family, you'll find out that her great-grandmother, not going that far back, her great-grandmother owned slaves. Heard this first on the No Agenda show. If you're not checking out the No Agenda show, why aren't you? But it's interesting to see the kind of crap that's going on. They use this. They stoke the outrage. They go out there. They give these people telling these stories that are have at least have huge possible holes in them. Journalism is overall dead. I'm only 48 years old, but I remember a time where journalism was about getting a story doing the homework, doing the legwork, confirming things with multiple sources, if possible, before these stories hit the newspapers, hit the airwaves. Not anymore. We're at a culture now where timing is everything, so just the hint of a story, things are just assumed to be true. These liars, like Jesse Smollett, allegedly, gets to go on TV and on social media, and tell his story, it's not true. The grand jury in Chicago is going to have a lot of fun with this guy, I think, and it really is going to be an interesting case to watch because I think you have to throw the book at this guy because the repercussions of what he did are huge. This could have caused major problems. You've already seen this in the United States where there was a police officer shooting with a, you know, if the white officer, a black kid, things go nuts if the wrong decision comes down. This guy, in an alleged attempt to get a higher salary for his crappy acting job, was willing to throw gasoline on the country and light a match. How many people could have gotten injured is just is just mind-boggling when you look at it because this is not an isolated incident that you could go, hey, well, nobody got hurt. The Chicago police have put a lot of time into this, and you have assholes now like MSNBC going, well, you know, maybe the Chicago police are uh, they're now trying to they're trying to frame Jesse. He's he's still he's still innocent. He didn't do this. We have video of his two buddies buying the red hat and the ski masks. And allegedly now there's also a check for $3,500 from Jesse to those two guys. As Charles Barkley said uh, the other day on TV, if you're going to commit a crime, man, don't use a check. Cash is king. So Jesse's not all that smart, I guess. 
because uh, you know he didn't think he was going to get caught. And again, ego kind of plays a part in that, I would guess. And in the emotion that he just thought, because he's witnessed this outrage culture, he's witnessed this orange man bad, he's witnessed this anti-Trump resist, resist, resist. And he figured he was going to get a free pass. He figured he was going to be able to tell this story. Nobody was even going to look in to it at all. The funny part is he knew that there was a camera in the area where this alleged event occurred. He just thought it was pointing in a different direction. And just think about that. Say there was that camera pointing in the right direction that would have caught this. This could be a whole different world right now. You could have had major problems in the city of Chicago and luckily, we didn't. Luckily, this guy uh, wasn't so bright. You know, one of the people on Empire, there was an article I read on this whole situation, was like, I can't believe Jesse would have done that. This, this is such an elaborate thing. It's really not that elaborate. I mean, he paid a couple of guys to beat him up and sent a threatening letter to himself. I mean, if that's elaborate, I mean, I think a kindergarten kid could have probably pulled that off. I'm not seeing this as Jesse being some really, really smart guy. He thought outrage culture was going to allow him to have a pass. He thought the story was just going to be accepted as it was. Go down the list of entertainers and politicians that immediately jumped on this story saying, you know, again, orange man bad, Trump bad. We got we to gotta do something about all this violence. Even though the logic of the situation is uh, violence is going down. We don't have a big problem with this. It's not increasing, but we want to ignore the logic and go with the emotion because it pushes our political agenda. And that's what everything's pushing lately is a political agenda, whether it's climate change, which just wants to separate you from your money. Because climate change, if the people that were at the front of this climate change stuff really believed in it. Al Gore wouldn't have his the home in Nashville that uses as much power. I think they said his 30 normal size homes in Nashville. He wouldn't be flying private jets. I mean, if you really believed in this, that the planet was coming to an end, Al, why aren't you living in a shack, buddy? Why aren't you flying commercial? Tell me, tell me, tell me. I really, really want to know, but you just keep playing upon people's emotions. Because it works. Unfortunately, it works. So hopefully now that we've had a chance to have this little chat, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, talk to them about just how logic and emotion meld together, how their brain really takes emotion to 80%, making their decision probably on a good day and on a bad day that goes way up. And when your emotional side is making all of your decisions, you're probably going to start making some really, really bad ones. I hope one of the good decisions that you've made is listening to this Random Thoughts podcast that I've been putting out, and I hope you like the content that we're putting out there. It would mean a lot to me if you could go to our website, randomthoughts.com, and subscribe or your favorite podcasting app. Uh, app. We're on any and all of them short of like the Spotify's and that. But if you go on your normal Android app, your iPhone app, do a search for Random Thoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts podcast we should be there you can follow us on twitter at random podcast r-a-n-d-u-m-b podcast 
And you can email us at any time. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Tell me I'm an idiot. That's cool. Random thoughts podcast at gmail.com. And if you have a moment and you have a either a Gmail account or a Facebook account, it would mean a lot if we can get your vote in the Rode Microphones contest that is currently going on. It's a podcasting contest. We posted a little sub two minute show up there. You can't really do much in sub two minutes. So, you know, go ahead and go listen to that. It's about putting a pie hole in and what they do. The address is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash vote random, V-O-T-E-R-A-N-D-U-M-B. And until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.